Blog Talk Radio. I remember the rivers we had to cross. I remember thinking my soul would be lost. I remember the fighting, screaming, and the blood spilling on the ground. I remember the voices ringing out. Yes, I remember each sound. I remember the net that they caught me in. I remember plunging the knife over and over again. I remember looking at you being dragged in the sand. I remember the last glance as I was struck by a white hand. I remember falling into a low dream state. This was where the ancestors danced and the spirits lied in wait. They waited for us finally to arrive and showed us to fight to stay alive. The ancestors put power in me and gave me the voice to tell my story. My spirit calls We want to join we in this tribute to we ancestors, and we also take this journey into Middle Passage Month, join the Gullah Geechee Nation, from Jacksonville, North Kakalaki, to Jacksonville, Florida. Jacksonville, Florida, Uli, Florida, the way this year start last year. And this year, yeah, we will honor we ancestors by making them for no. We not forget the middle passage. Tall, tall. My spirit calls out. My spirit calls out to thee. My spirit calls out. Rivers, 
Case Palmas, Apollonia, and Tres Puntas, a number of others intervene, or more or less trade, which it is their custom to signify at the sight of any ship by a smoke, and is always looked on as an invitation to trade. But as each is alternately among them from the chance of war, your mission shoes they decline it, or are out of stock. Cape Coast. The factors consist of merchants, factors, writers, miners, artificers, and soldiers, and excepting the first rank, who are the council for managing affairs, are all of them together a company of white Negroes who are entirely resigned to the governor's command, according to the strictest rules of discipline and subjection, are punished garrison fashion on several defaults with monks in confinement, the dungeons, drubbing, or the wooden horse. Though the salaries sound tolerably and Leaden Hall Street, 50 to 90 pounds per annum, a factor, 50 and artificer, yet in the country here, the general for the company's good, pays them in cracker, a false money, which is only current upon the spot. In the area of this quadrangle of Cape Coast Castle are large vaults with an iron grate at the surface to let in light and air on these poor wenches and wrenches the slaves who are chained and confined there till a damn man comes. They are all marked with a burning iron. D.Y., Duke of York. Within the castle is a smith shop, a cooperage, storehouses, a chapel, and a house for the officers and servants. The general's lodging communicates with the chapel. A capricious hall which serves to preach and dine in, pray or drink, serve God or debate or trade. Hence, they can overlook what the company's servants are doing. First, on the timing of the cargo. This depends at several places on the chance from the fanciful and various humors of the Negroes who make great demands, one voyage for a commodity that perhaps they reject next. Secondly, of the sorting, this may be observed in general, that the windward and leeward parts of the coast are as opposite in their demands as is at their distance. Iron bars, which are not asked for to leeward, are a substantial part of the windward cargoes. Crystals, oranges, corral, and brass-mounted cutlasses are almost peculiar to the windward coast, as are brass pans from Rio Setos to Apollonia, cowries or bougies at Winda, copper and iron bars at Calabar, but arms, gunpowder, tallow, old sheets, cottons of all the various denominations, and English spirits are everywhere called for. Slaves. Slaves differ in their goodness. Those from the Gold Coast are accounted best, being cleanest limbed and more docile by our settlements than others, but then they are, for that very reason, more prompt to revenge and murder the instruments of their slavery and also after and the means to compass it. To windward, their approach in goodness as in the distance from the Gold Coast, so as at Gambia or Sierra Leone to be much better than at any of the interjacent places. To leeward from thence, they alter gradually from the worse, and then golden negro is a proverb for the worthlessness, and they mend till you come to the hottentots. I've observed how our trading is managed for slaves when obliged to be carried on aboard the ship where there are factories. We are more at large. They are sold in open market on shore and examined by us in like manner as are 
brother traitor. Do beast in Smithfield, the countenance, the stature, a good set of teeth, pliancy in their limbs and joints, and being free of venerable taints are the things inspected and governs our choices by. Window slaves are more subject to smallpox and sore eyes, other parts to a sleepy distemper and to windward examples. There are few instances of deformity anywhere. Even their nobles know nothing of chronical distempers, nor their ladies of the vapors. Their flattish noses are owing to a continuing grubbing in their infancy against their mother's back. These words come from the history of slavery by Susan Everett, but I add to them that Eric Williams, in the history of the Caribbean, wrote, quote, a white servant's services for 10 years amounts to the price of a Negro slave. Three Negroes work better than and cost as much as one white man, end quote. A white servant's services for 10 years amounted to the price of a Negro slave. Three Negroes worked better than and cost as much as one white man. This is Queen Quet, chiefess and head of state for the Gullah Geechee Nation, also the founder of the Gullah Geechee Sea Island Coalition that is our sponsor for Gullah Geechee Rhythm Radio. And I am so pleased to be here on the air with you for another Labor Day. I thank you for the over 90,000 listens to this broadcast that have happened. Thank you, thank you to all Hunter Chillin with a sham, all the Hunter Chillin with a Yeti this year on social media, all the Hunter Chillin with a download this year for free for iTunes. Every weekend, unsubscribe and things like that. And also, for the some 199,000 views on Gullah Geechee TV, thank you, thank you for letting the rest of the world know that Hunter won't know just who we be, and we be Gullah Geechee anointed people. So this day, as we begin this journey into Middle Passage Month for the second year in a row in the Gullah Geechee Nation, I would be remiss if I didn't silence the music Silence the words and give honor to our ancestors that yet their bones lie within the middle passage. But those that crossed it made it to this land and make we and for shim coming. But they no say it chilling guidea. Thank you, thank you. So we give this your moment for we ancestors. Ashe, Ashe, Ashe. Amen. Last year, we honored our ancestors here in the Gullah Geechee Nation in a way that is consistent with our practices spiritually, and that is with the libation ceremony. Numerous ones of you have attended these libation ceremonies, have walked up upon us doing libation ceremonies, have seen the portions of the libation ceremonies that we have shared on Gullah Geechee TV so that the world would under and overstand that our African traditions yet live here in the Gullah Geechee Nation and also the energy of our ancestors we are blessed to still have within our DNA, within our minds, within our sphere, and all around us on this land that is anointed Gullah Geechee Sea Island sand from Jacksonville, North Carolina to Jacksonville, Florida. So it was an honor last year 
to come and be a part of a series of Middle Passage ceremonies that were taking place throughout the United States at places of our Holocaust, places that our ancestors had been brought into and brought through. So we went to Old Town Fernandina, Florida, and we had a tremendously moving Middle Passage ceremony that I led the libation for and Peck Ensemble led the songs for and God ushered in the energy and the power of cleansing there in Old Town yet again because this was not the first time that we had poured libation at this site. It was the first time that others gathered with us, whether they be Gullah Geechee or not, to pay homage, to give tribute, to acknowledge this port of entry in La Florida and to lay flowers that honored yet the place of rest, we pray, for many of the ancestral spirits whose bones are still yet lying on the bottom of the Atlantic Ocean, that is, the Middle Passage. So as we open tonight, I thought it not robbery, as we would say in the church. I thought, in fact, it would be a disservice if in this time and space I did not fully give credence to what had happened to our ancestors by ensuring that I read from accounts from people who had participated in the crime against humanity, the transatlantic slave trade. Some call it the slave trade triangle. You will just hear it called chattel enslavement or slavery many times in his story. But the transatlantic slave trade, Many of us honor our ancestors annually because we have a Remembrance Day such as this that takes place within the United Nations and within the countries that participate within the work at the United Nations. But also there are those of us who take the time out each and every opportunity that we get to pour out libation, to say prayers, to just give thanks to our ancestors here in the Gullah Geechee Nation. And so we see that this process would not continue if this generation were not familiar with that that many of our generations are aware of, the harshness and the brutality of how our ancestors got kidnapped and captured from Al-Kebulan that we call Africa today and then brought here. And our prayers yet go out for the people dying in the places of our kinspeople, because of a new disease, Ebola, we pray that healing will come. We pray that insight, wisdom, and understanding will come. We pray that a cure to this and HIV, AIDS, and the ignorance that goes with the spreading of it throughout the African diaspora would come. Here in the Gullah Geechee Nation, we have many people who refuse to go and get tested for HIV AIDS because they say they don't want to know the answer. We have many that are here in, in West Africa that think that if they were to wear a condom, this indicated something else against their personality or the character of the individual, as opposed to recognizing that that is the separation between you and a potential death sentence or at least an illness. Now, in this case of Ebola, there's nothing you can put on to protect you from it because they don't truly know where it's coming from. So here we have something yet ravaging the motherland at this hour that we enter into, a commemoration of the Middle Passage 
and what it did, what it is still causing to this day, what the fallout is for our people and how our people are yet dying on two coasts simultaneously from the same thing ravaging them. And here it is that people don't pay attention unless it can make them money. So here it is that we enter into this time portal and go back in time to this period that I'm reading about, but yet on such a day as today. And I will tell you that it was only within the last hour or so when we returned from the Labor Day celebration here on St. Helena Island at Historic Penn Center's grounds, and I had acquired some new pieces for the Gullah Geechee Al-Kabulan archives. And as I went to place those pieces in, I said, that's right. I arose this morning with a vision to pull from the archive one book, and we have numerous books, one book that would then discuss enslavement and the enslavement as it was happening. And so I did not spend any period of time as a historian. I didn't spend weeks or months reading this book and doing any analysis. I pulled this book out an hour and a half ago, and I read this passage, and not all the way up to what I read to you, ten minutes before I came in the air. And this part that I ended with I think is so significant and why the creator led me to this particular page to close on at that opening of the show, because of what Eric Williams wrote. Quote, a white servant's services for 10 years amounted to the price of a Negro slave. Three Negroes work better than and cost as much as one white man, end quote. I want to stick with that passage for a little while simply because it is Labor Day. And we are talking about self-worth. We are talking about the worth of the laborer. We are talking about the value someone places on your ability to work, your knowledge, your functioning, that still goes on. That is part of a corporate structure. That is part of a global economic structure. So there's a book that I would challenge many of my, read, my listeners, many of the people who read our blog at com. I would challenge you at this moment to read a book called Secrets of the Millionaire Mind and look at the way people who are millionaires think versus those who are not millionaires think. Look at the way people who are entrepreneurs and visionaries think versus those who are worker bees think, and it all balances out to value. So here it is, Gullah Geechee Black Gold. We were called Black Gold, Black Cargo during the transatlantic slave trade as our ancestors were pinned down, pushed into, stacked upon one another in the belly of the beast, in enslavement vessels. They were cargo and called as such, and in some writings, black gold. No doubt when you have the opposite case where you have passengers who have said, well, for Board upon your vessel to get to this new world, to this new land where I can start a new life because I'm leaving this insane asylum. I am leaving this prison here. And they say if I can get on a vessel and go to the new world, never to return to England, that I can work for you. Sir, I will work for you. 
I will be indentured into your servitude. What are the deal? What is the deal that I can get? How long would I need to be in service to you to transport, be transported to the new world? Seven years, maybe? Similar to biblical scripture? Seven years and then a debt is erased, it's paid, it's done? But for this black cargo, this black gold, there was no end. There was no seven-year end. And why? Because of their value. Now, I know many people who, when you listen to this one to three, one Anglo indentured servant to three, okay, three of them to one, quote, Negro person, three indentured servants to one African, that is how they weighed the value because of the work ethic of the African, because of the ability, the knowledge, the skill set the African was bringing. Three to one, like them odds, huh? So here it is that many people who worked in corporate America especially, or if your people pushed you to go to college, pushed you to know that you shouldn't just settle on one thing, but that you needed to be gifted or at least trained in many things, be skilled in them, so if you are jack-of-all-trades, you need to master at least one, but then have these others, what, to fall back on? I was just speaking with a family member over the past week about that having something to fall back on statement. And it rings true and comes to life here when I think of the corporate atmosphere and what people often say. I look at the political arena and listen to what we often say. We have to be this many times better. We teach our children that. Because of your skin, you are going to have to be better than these other folks. And here we read that by virtue of our ancestors' skin, their work ethic, their mind, their knowledge, everything that came along with them in the belly of the beast as they were transported across the Atlantic that we call the Middle Passage made it such that their market value was so much greater than another. Another's market value is only one-third of theirs. If you didn't understand the way I said earlier, that's just another mathematical construct that you can attain. One-third of ours yet the people that were being considered in the marketplace only one-third the value of us are the ones that turned around and wrote a document and made it law that we were three-fifths of human beings. Huh. I know some of you sit back and say, wow, the irony in that. Is it irony or is it another word, insult? How dare someone think that they can say that another human being is not whole? that that other human being in relation to them misses two parts of their being. Well, where did those two parts go? Maybe those two parts were beaten out on the enslavement auction block because this person stood up and looked you in the eye, clenched their mouths closed and didn't let you pry it open to study their teeth like a horse. Maybe that two-third, that other third was, the one other fifth was drowned in 
the Atlantic Ocean, the Middle Passage, as this person attempted to jump overboard instead of being enslaved, but you had a way in which you captured and brought them back on board to only bring them to a place for a horrific destiny called slavery. But guess what? Three-fifths or five-fifths, they ended up being the whole people that built the infrastructure for what is now the United States of America, what is now often still called the richest country in the world, even in a depression called an extended recession. But who is it? that yet stands, who is it that yet survives, who is it that yet thrives in the midst of all of this madness, in the midst of people trying to decapitate them, to try to take off parts of their spirit, in fact, and to reduce them to being less than a whole human being. Who stands? The African the descendants of the African diaspora, the victims of the transatlantic slave trade, children's 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 children. It's still there. As we say, Pandisia, see all and things like that, we the binya, and we the guayna, we the altar. And then Yeti me to crack my teeth, but this year plenty of time for now. But we won't have to forget it this year again today. Even though the water to bring me, the water sure going take me back. And see, when we talk about the water bring me, the water going to take me back here in the Gullah Geechee Nation, it brings me to this portion of this book on the stowing of human cargo. Yes, you heard it, the stowing, the, the storing them, putting them together into these enslavement vessels. Two of the officers have the charge of stowing them. At sundown, the second mate and the Botswana descend, cat in hand, and stow the Negroes for the night. Those on the starboard side face forward and in one another's lap, vulgarly called spoon fashion. On the port side, they are stowed with face aft. This position is considered preferable for the free pulsation of the heart. The tallest are selected for the greatest breadth of the vessel, while the short sides and youngsters are stowed in the fore part of the ship. Great precaution is also taken to place those such as may have sores or boils on the side most convenient for this distemper. Tubes are also distributed on the sleeping deck and so placed that both sides have access. The sick are never placed below. This lower deck, once full, the rest are stowed on the deck which is prepared with loose boards to keep the water from under them. They are then covered in fair weather with spare sails and with tarpaulins and rainy nights. In this manner, they are made to remain all night, if possible. This discipline of stowing them is the, of the greatest importance on broad slavers. Otherwise, every Negro would accommodate himself with all the comfortability of a cabin passenger. Billets of wood are sometimes distributed to them, but as slaves shipped are often of different nations, this luxury is not granted till well assured of the good disposition of the Negroes, as on many occasions slaves have been tempted to mutiny only by the opportunity at hand of arming themselves with those native pillows, indeed a very destructive missile in the case of revolt. 
as it may appear barbarous that slaves should be made to lie down naked on a hard board, let me inform the reader that Native Africans know not the use of mattresses. Therefore, slaves cannot find great inconvenience in laying down on hard boards. Now, these words clearly, clearly inform you of how our ancestors were treated on the Middle Passage and why. I'm a scientist, so I'm listening very clearly, and I've looked at the specs that many have on their walls now and that we have even in the Al-Kibulan archive, the drawings of how enslavers packed, quote, their cargo into these decks, on deck and below deck. The hows and the whys so that their hearts can beat freely so that this disease that's pouring out from any abscess for these wounds and these sores that they're talking about doesn't leak onto someone else. How the pregnant women might be in a particular section. That still does not stop people from urination and defecation right where they are and for it to go down upon another person. This is why you end up with many of the quote-unquote cargo being thrown overboard, as many might have seen for the image for this program if you saw the slideshow at our site for the program at blogtalkradio.com slash Gullah And here it is, that even within the midst of this, even within the midst of this hardship, not all just sank into the misery of the moment, the stench, the odor, the illness, the dying people around you, the crying people around you, the moaning people around you, but there were those who were warriors amongst them who plotted to the very moment that they could then have a mutiny. Last Monday, last week this time, I wasn't on the air because I was in Washington, D.C., another place of our Holocaust, another place that enslaved Africans built much of the place, including the Capitol, the White House even. And people today act like black people have no charge there. They built the place. The man who designed the city was a man of African descent. But last week this time I was there and was in the midst of many people that I know still fighting to tell our story on federal U.S. lands and to make sure the story is not left out nor us left out of being the ones to tell it. And amongst those people there was Captain Pinckney who was going around the world in his boat. And the person that last captained the Amistad ship and brought it into our port here in the Gullah Geechee Nation, into Charleston. And we hugged and we embraced in the National Press Club because at first I wondered if he would remember me, and before I could even get to him, he had his arms already opened. And I hugged him, and he started to tell me that he hopes that at some point the Amistad will run again, and that was the first time that I'd known that it's basically dry docked, that it had gotten damaged, and that it also had lost its funding. So here it is that, once again, it was valuable as long as it could make money and be on display for people to see at different harbor festivals when they go out to race their schooners and their sailboats, but then to come and learn this story of African people enslaved, but African people who did not simply remain enslaved in the belly of the beast, but fought back. 
they were the ones to mutiny. Many of you have seen the Amistad film. Many of you recognize and relate to Sierra Leone Salon and having a Mindy man here at the helm that led this, that then fought in court, won a case, kept freedom. There were also many of our ancestors that repatriated, returned to the motherland from the Gullah Geechee Nation, settled Liberia, settled Freetown, Sierra Leone. And now I went on to Guanyon and things like that, you can get plenty of this still over here. So when they talk about in this, having those from different countries, but then not having them have comforts, that they would, if they had liberty, just take this place and be comfortable. They couldn't allow that. They distributed them in such a way that was going to bring the mass amount of return. They needed as many of them to survive getting over through across the Middle Passage to the Caribbean or Caribbean Isles and then over to Sullivan's Island here in the Gullah Geechee Nation and to other ports. But Sullivan's Island became the point of arrival for over 40% of all Africans enslaved in North America. Here it is that they speak of how they were distributed and they said that a slave shipped are often of different nations. This luxury is not granted to well assured of the good disposition of the Negroes. Now, they specify of different nations because the kidnapping and capturing of Africans even on the West Coast did not mean all the Africans there were from the West Coast. African people have always been merchants. African people have always migrated on their own. They navigated waterways if they were from the western seaboard or the eastern seaboard of the motherland or from Madagascar. They could make their own boats and navigate waterways. But they also were always engaged and still are in trade, have their own marketplaces. So there are those who travel and do trade. And there were those warring against each other that unfortunately, I have to report, is still also happening in the motherland. And so here it is, that you may be a prisoner of war, and here comes this other set of people from a whole different nation, a whole different continent that wants to barter with me to give me items so that then they can take you? Sure. Because if I keep you in my country, then you become an indentured servant here. You have to work for and in my village in Africa because you are a prisoner of war. But eventually you're released the same way the Europeans, the Anglo people that boarded these ships as well and worked on there and but wanted to get to the New World would be released. And our ancestors exited or entered the door of no return. They either exited from their motherland or entered into this Middle Passage, this transatlantic slave trade, this journey from which they'd never escaped. And unfortunately, from which some of us have not escaped, that our minds are still bound by trinkets and things that can be traded, and we would yet sell one another. We would trade one another. We wouldn't fight for and with one another. We see ourselves as different nations. So in the mutiny, though, 
what do you do? Do you sit? Do you stand? Do you fight? Do you kowtow? Do you cow in the corner? Do you cry? Do you pray? Where are you? Who are you? Whose are you? These are all choices yet to be made to this day. So here it is that when we still stay in this portal of time and we are back in the transatlantic slave trade, we hear that European slave captains sailed to Africa with cargoes of woolen or cotton goods, often from India, rum, brandy, iron bars, and glass beads, that these they used to persuade African traders to take in exchange for who they considered slaves or, as we would say, prisoners of war. Then these were then transported to the, what they called the West Indies or the Caribbean or Caribbean to Newport, Boston, Charleston. And then they were then exchanged for cash, black gold, black cargo. How much of this shiny thing I could throw in my pocket and thing like that? They were even exchanged for drafts at the European Bank. I know some of y'all are thinking the World Bank right now. So here it is. To this day, some things have changed, but yet while they change, things remain the same. Once people were offloaded in places, the black gold, black cargo was offloaded in the Caribbean, then more things were loaded on and brought to the so-called New World, and they were loaded up many times with sugar, tobacco, then when they'd get over here, tobacco, cotton, coffee even would be loaded on sometimes in the Caribbean. And then this ship would turn back and go back to England, again with these kinds of things on it, sugar, tobacco, cotton, indigo. You see, these things would go back across. All products of the work, all products of the knowledge, all products of the skill set of the Africans who were enslaved. Yes, those Africans who were valued one to every three Anglo person. One African equals three Anglo-European white men at that time. So here it is that you have a continuation of the things that were indoctrinated into people's minds through propaganda that are the reverse of this. You're not taught in his story class of the Middle Passage. You're simply taught that, quote, slaves were brought from Africa where African people were enslaved. You've heard me mention a number of countries, a number of nations, and a continent that we call Africa today. You didn't hear me say slavery town. These people were Nigerians, they were Ghanaians, they were Sierra Leoneans, and then within these groups, these groups have ethnic groups within them, Mende, Temne, Fiki, Vivio, Gola, you, you, have, you have the Tui-speaking people, you have the Yoruba people, you have our Angolan ancestors, you have the Igbo. You have all of these individuals whose names were not known, nor was their concern, because they were simply to be bought and sold, traded and exchanged, used as a commodity, used to be exploited, used to build a market. And even to this moment, what is marketable is what is promoted. 
what is marketable is what is and will be sold, and to whom it shall be marketed are to the greatest consumers. And so we've gone from being consumed and exploited to being consumers. We've gone from being the producers to being the consumers. We've gone from being the creators to being those who, well, we're still creators, but we have taken what we create and given it away to other communities for the most part for them to benefit from while our community yet suffers. And when I say ours, I mean the global African community. And we've done it all because there are those who would say we are three-fifths of human being and teach you that over and over and over in class but never teach you this that Eric Williams wrote. Because when you see it differently, when you can see it and you think it differently, it is different. On a tank free, on a beef free. Our ancestors who did not see a piece of wood as a pillow saw it as a weapon as you heard in what I read. So it's about what you have and what you do with it. So that's why when I almost said we're not the creators anymore, it was because there's so many people who now lack imagination. But then when I thought about it, but yet we still create. Sometimes we just don't value what we do create. And so we'll give it away for almost nothing. They'd be mad at the next person who is also creative and creating and then says, no, you're going to pay me the fair market value or you will not have it. I'll keep it for myself first. I'll keep it for my family, for my chilling, chilling, chilling. I will keep it for generations to come before I give it away to you. But here it is that if I think you are not me and I am not you, I would not only give you away, I'd sell you away. Never to be concerned about what happens to you thereafter. This is part of the story of the transatlantic slave trade. This is part of the pain, the tears, the blood that spilled in the Atlantic that we call the Middle Passage was those whose spirits, would allow them to participate in what is the crime against humanity, that they would help others to be placed in bondage, whether as prisoners of war or out-and-out slaves, people to be enslaved and to be stripped of all of their humanity for generations, and that if they have children while in that condition, their children will suffer the same condition and be enslaved also. So now we come to a point where this month is so crucial today that we break the chains. There's a gospel song called Break the Chains that I could have passed on the spirit the first time I ever heard it at Elder Carly Towns play in Charleston, in a church. Break the chains is what we seek to do off the minds, of the spirits, of the souls of our people, and definitely off and from, through, and around these ports of entry in the Gullah Geechee Nation. We are fortunate to be blessed, and I know it has to be her spirit that is at work, that 
one of our sacred ancestors, the beach lady, Marvin Vetch, who passed, had passed with a vision to have an American Beach Museum, and she was one of the people that would sit out and sleep outside at American Beach under the stars and the moon at night and tell you how she could hear those chains yet coming out that Atlantic Ocean and how she could see if you just looked yourself, how you could see those bodies of Africans that would come up on the shores of Fernandina Beach in Amelia Island after they'd been thrown overboard. It is her spirit at work that has it that one of the opening events for this year's Middle Passage Month for us in the Gullah Geechee Nation will be the dedication of the American Beach Museum that she fought for, that she lobbied for, that she raised money for, but more than that, raised awareness for it in honor of her great-great-grandpa, Abraham Lincoln Lewis, God bless the dead, who was one of the founders of the Afro-American Life Insurance Company, the afro was the first insurance company in the state of Florida, not the first black one, the first one. And so that company then also founded American Beach. The streets are named for the founders of the Afro. And so we celebrate this next weekend, next Saturday, Saturday coming, we will actually be Saturday coming, actually, not next week, this Saturday coming. We will be at American Beach finally for the opening of the American Beach Museum. We will be at that Atlantic Ocean at the point where in Old Town we weren't directly on the ocean, but this year we'll be on the ocean once again. Also the place where we first had worship by the sea at American Beach, led by the Gullah Geechee Cultural Heritage Committee of Northeast Florida, who is still engaged in this process of documenting and revisiting records about our ancestors that were brought in through these points of entry in Florida, as well as those brought in through Georgia because so many migrated from Georgia into Florida to find work where? At the port, on the waterways, sewing casting adapting that skill into making other types of nets, even unto this moment, even unto this day. So telling you that collective consciousness is yet still alive in our spirits, and we shall not forget. And if anything, if God has my voice continue to reign true throughout this month, you know I'm going to keep reminding you of the middle passage. There's going to be more and more of the journeys into our archives, more and more of the sharing of what took place then, but what we can do now. This month is also the time in which we will celebrate and commemorate Seminole Days in Brackettville, Texas. In two weeks, we'll be there celebrating with our ancestors that fought their way out of enslavement. And because they did, they got labeled wild, exiled, Cimarron, Seminole, the unconquerable. Here it is that I will then go on to the United Nations to a world conference of indigenous people and from there step out onto the streets of Wall Street, which was the second largest enslavement auction block in North America, second only to Charlestown, Charleston, South Carolina, here in the Gullah Geechee Nation. 
From there, I will go to Brooklyn, and we will have a function that you heard us talk about in the last episode of this broadcast. If you didn't hear it, you can go back into iTunes and download the episode for free, or you can go to blogtalkradio.com slash Gullah Geechee, G-U-L-L-A-H-G-E-E-C-H-E-E. And you can hear myself and Brian Strongwin Williams, who is the visionary behind the Adriala Gallery in Brooklyn, where I will be on Saturday, September the 27th. We will begin at 3 o'clock in the afternoon with the Histo Musical presentation, Bring to Life the Water Bring We. And then it will be followed by book, CD, DVD, signing, and evening of meet and greet with myself and Strongwin as we bring to Brooklyn the remembrance, the reminder of what the Middle Passage caused, but what also came from it and who came through it, our ancestors. Their ability to survive and to thrive needs be honored. We need not forget. We need to learn the children but all of this year. And so I am looking to see each and every one of you at these various events that are going to go on this month and the various events that are going to focus in particular on our ancestors, our ancestry, and the middle passage, the journey they took, but the journey we're on at this moment and how we are not separate from them. For had it not been for them, there would be no me. There would be no you. There would be no us. We. For we be Gullah Geechee, anointed people. And I want to thank everyone who is going to take time this month to not just visit places like the Gullah Geechee Aokebulan Archive and other places that have become repositories for our story. But I want to thank all of you who are going to buy a book and begin your own library and repository so that your children's children's children can read these things, that they can know of our story and our journey and realize that you should be thankful for all that you have, especially the opportunity to get up, walk, talk, as you may please, even if you're a crack and eat like this, you all the rest of the kind of weird thing like that, and let nobody count for honor, yeah? Because then, honor they do a disservice to the ancestors. And so definitely, as always, the labor, the work continues to educate, to enrich, to enlighten, and to empower. It was a blessing to me today to have spent this day in a place that my ancestors labored, that my elders labored, labored to build the buildings for the first school for African people, formerly enslaved at that point, African people, because now they were getting to the point of being called contraband, and then freedmen. When Penn School was founded in 1862 in Big Shootsville, Venezuela, but they had the mother wit, the understanding of architecture, yet another skill brought over in the belly of the beast during the Middle Passage. And they were able to build the very buildings that we sat in and looked at today 
that we celebrate in front of that. We embraced each other in front of that. We've been a fried fish in the Ampun in front of today here on Historic St. Helena Island. And so it is an honor and a blessing to yet live in a place and a space that reminds me of how far we've come, but yet how far we need to go. And that if we want to go far, we must go together. When you want to go fast, you go alone. But they also told us, live too fast, you die young. And I was honored to be able to be photographed again today with my cousin who is 103 years old. So we do things together, and that's why we can still go far. And our ancestors who fought together, who prayed together, who cried together, even if it was in different languages, they simultaneously called out to God together during the middle passage, and they prayed for themselves and their future generations. We give you thanks because we are yet here because of your strength, your faith, your power on that journey, even through a crime against humanity. So I thank all of my listeners for spending this time with me this evening or this afternoon or morning, whenever it is that you are tuned into this broadcast. I thank you for sharing this, and I pray that this month you will learn more about the Middle Passage and that you will go to these places and spaces and lay flowers, pour libation, or just say, I'm sorry or thank you, depending on what side your ancestors were on in regard to the transatlantic slave trade. And if you want to reach me, you can always reach us at Gullah Geechee Nation on Facebook, at Gullah Geechee on Twitter, at Gullah Geechee on Instagram. But in particular, you can email us at the Gullah Geechee Sea Island Coalition at G-U-L-L-G-E-E-C-O at AOL dot com g u double l g e e c o at a o l dot com that's america online dot com and so thank you thank you for all on the chillin what no who we be and we thank God that it make we galagichi but rather was that God make them so that we can still be free we honor all those laborers of unions this Labor Day, and we thank our ancestors for the labors that they did, even on their journey, when they were released, taken off these ships, placed at Sullivan's Island, later onto these sea islands and plantations that are now the Gullah Geechee Nation. We honor your labor, your journey, and the Middle Passage. This is Queen Quinn, head upon the body of the Gullah Geechee Nation. Peace, blessings and strength to you. Keep working hard for the family.